So, I think it's seven or eight years ago now, I uh, had the privilege of taking a small group of people on a short-term mission trip to Cambodia. Yeah, one of the really neat adventures of my life, 10 days in this country and the things God did beforehand miraculously to get us there and then this, the things that he was doing in and through us while we were there and the things we got to see and be a part of uh, was just amazing. Memories that I will, of course, never forget and you know that's, that's who God is, right? And one of the memories <laughs> that I will never forget is uh, the smell. <laughs> So uh, if you've not been to Cambodia, it has a distinct uh, rotten garbage smell. Um, so literally you get off the plane and it's got this, you know, certain smell to it. Now, uh, later I found out a big part of this is, uh, actually there's two big pieces of this. First of all, it's durian or king fruit, if you don't know what that is, but uh, it is a massive uh, fruit that is... Uh, really stinky and nasty, and it smells like garbage, rotten garbage. Uh, and so, actually, a lot of airports won't let you take it into the airport. You can't travel with it because it stinks so bad, right? I mean, this is, this is what it is, right? This is, but they eat it, and they like it, and yeah, it's great. Um, so, uh, but there was another thing that I realized also as uh, we spent our time there, and, and that was the fact that uh, the rotting garbage smell was not just durian, it was actually rotting garbage. Uh, in, in the 70s, late 70s, maybe you know a little bit of the history of Cambodia, uh, but they had this guy named Pol Pot, a uh, pretty bad guy actually, and uh, murdered uh, a couple of million Cambodians. Uh, and the city that we were in is Phnom Penh, and it's the capital city of, of Cambodia. And it used to be this massive, awesome city, right? And then in the late 70s, Pol Pot comes in, and again, war ravaged from, uh, from uh, Vietnam War and all that kind of stuff, and all these chaos, you know, just power, you know, vacuums and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, he, this Pol Pot, he, like, he evacuated the city. Like totally got everyone out of the city and uh, had his two year or so reign, uh, wiping out all of these Cambodians. And then eventually uh, he, he got killed and knocked out. And so people began to come back into the city. But because of that and some of the challenges over since then, uh, the Cambodian people uh, do not have a long-term perspective of their country. Uh, they are waiting in essence, for the other shoe to drop because it was their own people that wiped them out, right? I mean, it wasn't like some other nation came in. No, it was their own came within, from within. And, and so there's this depression there. There's this uh, kind of this lack of foresight because they just kind of like, why build anything that is going to last? You know, because it's just going to happen again and we're all going to get kicked out of the city or something's going to, you know, horrible. So why even try? And so that leads to a garbage problem because they just like, you know, why collect the garbage? I mean, let's just throw it in the street or let's just throw it in the rivers or let's just throw it in wherever, right? And, and so literally you drive through the city. If there's a little space or, or, or a canal or something, it's 
filled with garbage. And so for now, for decades, a couple of decades now, uh, there's been other organizations that have tried to come in and clean up the garbage. And, and every one of them end up failing so far. I think they're starting to get some pro progress now. But because the people won't, they try to, you know, like they put a garbage can out for them to put garbage in and the people won't use it. Like, nah, it's much easier just to throw it over here, right? And so there's this kind of sense that like, even why try? I mean, they just kind of given up even trying in Cambodia. Of course, you know, if you compare that to America, right, what's a little different, right? I mean, that's hard for us to imagine. Like, it was hard for me to, like, how do you give up, right? I mean, Americans are like, we can do it, right? I mean, we don't give up. We never give up. How many is like, I'm never giving up, right? You know, I mean, we have that, like, I'm going to do this, right? And we have that within us. It's a part of our culture. Like, you know, if we just put in a little bit more effort, if we put in a little more time, we can do this. I'm not going to give up. I, I'm going to make this happen. And, and uh, I've done that in my life with a lot of things, but there's one thing that I don't do, and that's with, like, computers and stuff. Um... <laughs> Debbie knows, like, I, you know, like, a computer start not doing what it's supposed to do, I, like, I'm ready to throw it across the room. That. I mean, I'm like, yeah, you stupid thing. And then she's like, wait, honey, I got it, I got it. I go, thank you, thank you. I'm going to go for a walk. Um, but, but so I give up on those kind of things really quick. Like, I mean, you know, if you, get, you buy those, those things that come in a box, you know, I buy a desk that's in a box, right? And you have to put it together or a crib. You have to put it together. I mean, it's crazy. Why can't we just buy it put together? Like, why do we have to make it ourselves, right? We have, I just don't get that, right? And so anyway, I have a lot of issues. So I, there's things I give up on, but there's other things I don't. So, but it's American, right? We, we always keep striving, but do we realize... I don't think we do. I, I think often as we don't realize that the can-do spirit is actually a curse. Because we keep trying. Doesn't matter how many times we fail. We keep trying. I can do it. I'm going to get there. Just need a little bit more time, a little bit more practice, a little more effort. Just got to believe in myself. I can do this. And we translate it into our Christianity as well. And so our life is spent doing it. We did it. Look at, I memorized like the whole book of James. It's amazing. Right? I mean, I, I did it. People told me I couldn't do it, but no, I did it. Right? Man, I showed up to church this morning. Yeah, I did it. Right? I mean, some of us, that's where we're at, right? I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. 
and nothing they, that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. This interesting story again in Genesis chapter 11. We see Babel uh, building this city and excited about building this city. Look what we did. Look what we're going to do. Everybody's going to know about us because look at this amazing stuff that we've done. But Babel has three key sins, three sinful perspectives that cause God to come down and punish and to separate and to divide them. First sinful perspective is with that they were going to do their will, will not God's. We see uh, in the previous chapter that God had instructed Noah's sons and the generations after to scatter throughout the earth. God had not called them to compile, to come together and, and, and form this, you know, kind of bring everyone together and be able to do these things. He said, no, scatter, get out of this place. We want to we get you all across the earth. God loves all of his creation. He didn't want just part of it to be cared for. He wanted all of it to be cared for. And so instead of doing God's will to scatter, instead they say, no, we're going to do our will. We're going to stay together because we like, you know, hanging out together and doing these amazing things. The second sinful perspective is that they relied on themselves and not God. We can do it. We don't need God to get to heaven we can build a tower that reaches the heavens. I mean, we can do it ourselves. We don't really need God. We can do it and we can do it our way, like however we want to do it. We don't need God. We've got the power. And then finally, the third sinful perspective is that they exalted themselves after they built this amazing city. Hey, built a name, got a name for ourselves. Look, hey guys, look at us. We are amazing, aren't we? Look what we've done here. Look how we've, we've created all of this amazing stuff. We're just as powerful as God. We can, we're going to worship the work of our hands instead of God's. Aren't these three sinful perspectives still in our world today, especially in America? Right? It's about our will. No one tells us as Americans what to do. No one tells us what to do. We, we choose. We get to choose how I'm going to live my life. You can't tell me. This is a, obviously, I mean, even with this mandates and things like that and whether, wherever you're at on that, I mean, part of the reaction to that is uh, as Americans, we're like, no, no, you don't tell it. We're individualistic. We can do it. What I want to do, you don't tell me what to do. Second, we do it our way. I can do it, right? And it just illustrated earlier, you know, we can do it. We don't need God. I can figure this out. 
And there are so many of us that live our life this way, refusing to give up, even when things keep falling apart, even when we keep failing, and we, even, even when you know, everything is just, is, you know, we lose it all, right? We still keep trying, refuse to give up. And we, you know, our culture loves to tell us this message, right? You know, if you just believe in yourself, you can do it. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. No, you can do it. You just need to keep on trying. Put your effort in. This is, you know, the mantra that we hear all the time, this individualistic perspective that we can do it, that our success is dependent on me. Like I can, if I just put in the time and the effort, I can get there. And we also have this, we, we love to get the glory. We love to get the glory. I mean, social media, right? <laughs> That's, man, like YouTube, like hits, you know, what? I mean, it's like, this is, you know, it maybe have started out as something kind of cool, like a way to connect with family and friends around the globe, right? But it has morphed into something that's really, really sick. Now, not all of us use it that way, but I mean, how many, I w- I've actually, you know, I just got to say, I've really kind of like, I get on like Facebook maybe once a week now, maybe for just a couple of minutes just to check to see what's going on. Make sure Sean Bragg is not posting anything crazy on the church Facebook page. <laughs> <clears throat> but I love not being on it. Uh, it's been a couple of months now. I love not being, I know some of you aren't on it and that's, you're probably like, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. Likes? What are likes? I mean, I like you, I like me and whatever, right? Now, but anyway, so, but social media has become, and it, it's this, this thing, right? Like you got to go back and check because you got to see how many likes you got or how many comments you got on your statement or your whatever. And it's like, oh my gosh, we are seeking glory constantly. We get examples of this in our, uh, uh, in, in the media as well, Hollywood, all of these award banquets <laughs> that they have, award shows they have like Oscars and stuff that are just like, um, uh, uh, yeah, all about celebrating ourself, our own glory. And, you know, I praise the Lord. You know, I watch sports, you know, a, a lot of football because football is amazing. Go Hawks. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, you, you see the interviews after the game and they only interview the guys that did like amazing things like, you know, a bunch of touchdowns, you know, like Russell Wilson, he's amazing, right? Or he busted up his finger and now I can't play. Well, what a wimp. Anyway, um, <laughs> Whole season shot and we're done as well. Anyway, uh, but you, you know, you, you, you see them get into the interviews, right? And, and it's, you know, they're, the interview is asking them all these questions about how did you do it, right? How did you make this happen? What were you thinking when, you know, this, like, you know, that, you know, this all about trying to unlock, you know, how they were so great and so awesome so that and then maybe somebody else. And then occasionally they do. And I hope this is genuine. Like, you know what? They give praise to Jesus, right? Because they're a believer and they just say, you know, I, I thank the Lord for this opportunity. I can't believe I'm here. But so much, right? of our media is, again, just glorification of our own self, right? We are in a nation that has a lot of similarities to the city of Babel. And we see what God did. He came in and he punishes the city. Punishes them for their sin, for these things of thinking that, you know, it's their will, not his, that it's their way, not his, that it's their glory, not his. God sees their work and their, and their pride-filled hearts 
and he refuses to leave them alone. He steps in. In part, I think, because if he doesn't, their sin will just continue to compile, you know, to, to, to exponentially grow. Like, you know, the word, they're already at this level. If I don't step in and do something, I mean, they're not, they're going to they're gonna do everything that they have in their minds. They're going to do all of this stuff that's evil and ugly. It's going to just, you know, spread across the globe. And so God's like, no, I'm going to step in. But also understand that when he steps in, he's stepping in because of his love for them. You know, God punishes because of his love, not his hate. He's not just like angry to be angry. He loves us. Hebrews 12 is this great chapter about discipline where the author of Hebrews says, you know, you know, if you're a son, you get disciplined. If you're a son and you're not getting disciplined, then you're not a legitimate son. That we as children of God should expect punishment because he loves us. He loves his creation. If there's no punishment, actually, there's no love. Right? If God would just to let them go and just continue right? That, that, that's not loving, right? That's, he's letting them, you know, he wants, to, he wants to punish them so that they recognize the error of their way. And God's typical way of punishment for sin is division. We've seen this already in Genesis chapter 3. Sin, punishment, is division. There's conflict between humans and humans. There's conflict between humans and God. There's conflict between humans and creation. This is the typical punishment if, for sin, is it, is it leads to these divisions. God steps in, and he's going to create division. Division from God, but also division from others. Not only in the garden, but also we see this with Cain, who became a wanderer. We see this now with Babel. Later on, we'll see it with the diaspora of Israel. And then later, of course, today, I mean, what we're experiencing now, right? I mean, I, we see this as well. Sin always leads to division, to separation, to conflict. But as always, within punishment is grace. By God stepping in and confusing their language, but God stepping in, and because of that confusion of language, causing them to scatter, they end up doing God's will because they're scattering. But there's blessing, there's grace in this. Diversity is a blessing. Because the sin is now limited. You think about the different nations that we have. Thank the Lord that we do have multiple nations. Because with multiple nations, you can have a nation like America raise up. Whereas other nations aren't there, right? I mean, you see this, like the diversity between different nations. Some are going to, you know, be humanistic and they're going to destroy. Others are going to be Christian and they're going to recognize who God is. And so they're going to build up and it's going to be beautiful and great, right? And so uh, having a diversity of nations actually allows for their, for sin to be limited, 
Instead of sin sweeping through the entire you know, uh, uh, race of humanity, it has boundaries now. And so there's a, there's a blessing in this division. Blessing also helps to break people out of the direction they're going. Right? When all of a sudden you, you reach conflict and division in your relationships, like you go, okay, wait a second. Where am I going, right? What's happening? Consider a friendship, a best friendship, and all of a sudden there's conflict and you can't get through it. You stop and you go, wait a second, what am I doing? Do I need to do something different? It's a way for us to recognize it. In, in a marriage relationship, same thing. If you're all of a sudden you're just not, communication isn't going, something's happening, there's division. Okay, wait a second, let's step back. What are we doing that's you know, sinful maybe? Or what are, you know, so division creates an opportunity for us to change directions. And division and punishment also warns others. Like when we see someone else face God's punishment and the division that begins to come in their relationship because of their sin, it gives it, we go, oh, wow, okay, I don't want to do that, right? Step back. So we see in Genesis 1 through 11, now, uh, and again, this is, um, will be my final message on uh, the roots in the roots series, Genesis 1 through 11. I, I hope to in next year to jump back in in chapter 12. And next year, I'm going to try to finish the rest of the book. Uh, so we'll see if that happens. But that's kind of the plan at this point. Uh, but at this point in human history, we see after 11 chapters in Genesis, we see that humanity is lost and depraved and without much hope, right? I mean, they've been start, they started with perfection, right? They, they had a perfect situation. God made them perfect, made the creation around them all perfect, and yet it failed. They rejected God's provision and they rebelled against God's goodness. And then there was this, uh, this series of punishments, okay, over time, but then, of course, the big punishment of the flood, right? And God says, all right, you know, they, they presumed upon my grace and my perfection. Now they're sinning. Let me show them my holiness by saying, hey, <laughs> let me step in and, and, and let you know I'm in control, right? And that even failed. Again, as Noah is just a you know, short time out of the ark and he's sinning and, and ham and all of that. So they reject God's discipline and they rebel against his judges, ju justice. And then here in chapter 11, if you will, it's, it's the nations are building and coming, coming together, and yet they fail as well. And denying God's will, doing it on their own, and taking all the glory. They reject God's instructions, and they rebel against his authority and his goodness and love. There's more failures to come in the Old Testament. In chapter 12, we're gonna, next year when we get into it, we'll find that there's a promise that's made. But the promise fails. Humanity rejects God's choice of them. And then they're in Egypt, the people of God. And through amazing miracles, God saves them and calls them out of that. But the miracles fail to impress us, and we reject God's rescue. And then the law comes, but the law fails. And humanity rejects God's tenets. And then we bring in the kings and we have a government. 
but the government fails and we reject God's governance. Indeed, one of the main points, I think, of the Old Testament is to reveal the failures of humanity. That we have tried over and over and over again, and we've failed. God has given us all these different ways to try to make it work, and we've failed. You know, we, we think sometimes that, you know, we're, we're kind of like brilliant, right? And we're like, we came up with this new way to do it. Like, I mean, the Old Testament, they didn't have the technology that we have today. So we can do it now. I mean, old te- they just didn't get it right now. We've got, we've done all of this, you know, psychology and sociology. And we have, we just understand how the brain works pretty well and how people work. We can do it now. So, I mean, they just didn't have that. We've got it now. So we can do it, Right. No, read the Old Testament. We can't do it. We've messed it up over and over again. God's tried in all of these different ways. But the beauty of chapter 11 is that it ends with a genealogy, and it's a genealogy of grace, of God's grace. Despite our failure, God still is pursuing humanity. Human history is not over. God is still working with us and with, him, with them back in this, day, in this day and that day and also in this day. And we see this, this reality, the importance of tracking the lineage of God's people. God's word wants to make sure we understand and can make all of the connections from, uh, from Adam all the way to Jesus. And we are reminded here, because of this genealogy, of the promise that came in the midst of the curse in the garden. The offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And so in the end, at the end of this chapter, there's this sense of anticipation as well. Despite all the failures of humanity, how we screwed everything up, we end with this sense that, wait, there's still something to come. Like, God didn't just end it all. He's still working with humanity. And then there's this, what's going on? What's coming? What's next? Of course, we recognize today that Jesus is the way. He's the one That was successful. The human being who was successful. Who finally was able to do it right. Jesus is the only one who takes advantage of perfection. Accepts the promise. Passes on the miracles. Fulfills the law. Endures the punishment. And builds a kingdom all in honor and worship of God. It is only through Jesus that any of us can experience success. It is by bowing our knee to Jesus as Lord that we can find true and lasting 
success. We can do it through Jesus. We have to give up, though. Because success in Jesus is only for those who do give up. It's unfortunate in our world, I think the gospel message has been twisted and tweaked a bit by us Christians. Seeking to reach out to people who do not really recognize their need for a savior. And so I think we have too many in our churches and professing to be Christians who actually don't need Jesus. You see, we don't recognize that the step into salvation is not a step of, look what I did. (laughs) It's a step of total desperation. It is when we have recognized the depth of our sin, the lostness of our soul, the depravity of who we are. We are just so sinful, so evil. There's nothing good we can do. It's when we get to that point that we can actually say, I need help. I can't do it. And we as Americans really struggle to say, I can't. Our world tells us never say that. You never say, I can't. You'll try. You just keep getting out. No, when it comes to the kingdom of God, if we're going to find success, we have to get to the point where we realize we can't. In Jesus, then in Jesus, we find this amazing reversal of the punishment because in Jesus we see unity we see the drawing together of relationship the divisions between us and God no longer the divisions between us and others may still exist but we can sense there's coming together in Acts chapter 2 Pentecost isn't it interesting That in the Tower of Babel, as a result of sin, God divides them by confusing their language. But at Pentecost, when the church first formed, God does what? He unites them together by giving the ability to speak in each other's languages so they can understand one another. In Jesus... It wasn't because the disciples stood up and said, we can do it. It was because they realized they couldn't do it. So the question you have to ask yourself today, are you still trying? Are you refusing to give up? This is not just the choice to become, to to become a Christian. It's not just that choice. Galatians chapter 3, and I think I'll read that a little bit later, but Galatians chapter 3 tells us that the problem is also for us as Christians. See, sometimes we think, okay, well, it takes grace to get into the kingdom of heaven, but once I'm in the kingdom of heaven, then it takes me. I've got to do it all. 
Sanctification is all about me making it happen. And so we try and we try and we try and we try and we try. And we fail 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 and we fail. And then Paul says, what do you, why did you, how did you get into the kingdom of heaven? Through grace, right? Faith, through grace, right? So why are you now trying to live it out under your own effort? So are you still trying? Are you trying to please God? Are you trying to work out your own salvation without Jesus? Are you refusing to give up? All right, Laura, why don't you come forward with your worship team? I want to take this perspective with us into communion this morning. still trying or have you given up this morning as we take communion just a couple of notes one as an alliance church we practice what's called open communion which means that you do not have to be a member of this church or any alliance church in order to participate in communion you have to only have bowed your knee to jesus as lord If you are a part of the family of God, then we invite you to join us in this family meal. Also, as far as form, I'm going to invite you to come forward this morning to take communion. And so Pastor Bob and I will be uh, up front with the elements and uh, just ask you to come forward. You can grab a a cup and a a wafer, and then you can take it back to your seat, and you can take it kind of in your time and in your way. So individually, we'll be taking it individually, but we'll ask you to come forward. And as you come, Bob and I will give a little blessing as you take, take the elements and then return to your seat. Also, just encourage you to come on the outside aisles and then return to your seats through the middle aisle just to help traffic flow um, as well. If, again, if you don't feel comfortable coming forward for whatever reason, uh, Glenn has a basket with uh, the elements that he can and just, you know, get eye contact with him or raise your hand, let him know, and he'll bring you um, those elements for you to be able to partake in that way as well. But again, I, I, just going back, as we come to communion, communion is about Jesus, right? <laughs> it's all about Jesus, right? You know, we don't show up at the foot of the cross saying, hey, look at me, Jesus, aren't I amazing, right? You show up at the foot of the cross going, oh my gosh, I'm so desperate. And I'm so evil, I can't believe that you're hanging on that cross for me. I do not deserve that. But praise the Lord, of course, he's not still on the cross. He's risen from the dead, and he's with us today, still working with his people. And so I just ask that you would spend a little bit of time in prayer as we uh, spend time in communion this morning to, to evaluate the area of your life that you are continuing just trust yourself in instead of him. It's, it's amazing. Um, I, you know, just a quick story. You know, I, reading the Bible through like every year, I struggled with that for years and years and years and years and years. It wasn't until I gave up trying to do it that I actually was able to do it. 
And I think there's a lot of that. I think there's a lot of that reality in our Christian walk. As if we want greater sanctification, the effort that we put in is not in trying to make ourselves better. The effort we put in is trying to know Jesus, to trust him, to know him better, to, to, to be dependent on him more. Human power, you know, we think we can do a lot of good things and it looks really great, but it's just religiosity. It's only when we give it up and surrender and say, okay, Jesus, I can't, but you can, so let's, let's do this. That now we begin to do things that have meaning and purpose and fulfill what God's called us to do. So just ask those questions this morning. That, you know, what am I, you know, ask yourself, Holy Spirit, reveal the thing that I'm still trying to do myself and help me to give it up. And help me to trust that you'll make it happen. Or if it doesn't happen, that that's your will too. John 14, verse 6, the one we all know. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Right? There's no other way. It's only through Jesus. But then he goes on. No one comes to the Father except through him. True before we get saved, true after we get saved. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Go to Jesus right now. And when you're ready, come forward, receive the communion elements, and then uh, we'll move on with our service through a couple of songs. Heavenly Father, we thank you, um, first of all, for your punishments. Lord, that, that you do love us, and so you discipline us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to become more and more aware of that reality. That instead of seeing our failures as just a need for us to try again, that Lord, maybe that failure is because you're trying to get our attention trying to get us to stop trying. We thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, you do so many good things. So You bless us in so many ways despite our sin, despite our continued effort. But Lord, you're always calling us to greater freedom. You're always calling us to be more dependent on you. Lord, may we learn more and more to take to embrace the, the experience of the Israelites in the desert. That every day we get up and we look for the food that you're going to provide. And then the next thing we do is we look to you, to the cloud, to the pillar of fire, risen above the tent, is it time to move on or is it time to stay? Though that we would be totally dependent on you every day. We'd stop trying to be successful on our own in this world or in our relationship with you. Galatians 3, 
verse 10 and following, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a great day, church.